Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Today we continue with Pastor Murphy's introductory thoughts on the importance of Romans as seen in church history and the great men of the past, while also taking a look at its author, the Apostle Paul. The book of Romans is a great book. And I think that as we make our journey through this great epistle, we will discover that it is one of the great marvels of the New Testament and one of the great instruments that God has used in the church history. Not only to save his church, to salvage his church, to protect his church, but to bring about some of the greatest revivals and the greatest reformations the world has ever known in the process. But let me point out something else to you by way of general introduction. I also want to uh, mention to you tonight what some of the great men of the past have said about this, this epistle of, of Paul, this great epistle of, of, of Romans. And uh, let me just mention a few. I, I don't know if you ever heard of the guy called John Chrysostom. He's a great pulpiteer. He's a man with a golden tongue, a silver lips. A tremendous orator. I, I am told that in terms of his capacity, that he was perhaps the most eloquent, one of the most eloquent preachers the world has ever known. The church has ever known. But it is amazing that what this man said about this particular epistle. Listen to what he said. He said these words. He says that the Roman epistle is so remarkable that he had it read to himself twice every week. I repeat. He was so enamored with this epistle that he had it read to him twice per week. That is how he valued this epistle. And need I remind you what the great Martin Luther himself, who brought about the Protestant Reformation, what he said about this epistle, I quote. He said, this epistle is the chief part of the New Testament. And when he said it's the chief part of the New Testament, what he really means that this is the greatest New Testament book. And then he goes on to say, I like this. He said, it's the very purest gospel, which indeed deserves that a Christian should not only know it, Word for word by heart. I don't know if you know this. There are Bible schools in America that you cannot get into that Bible school until you memorize the book of Romans. Are you aware of that? I'm not too sure if they got this from Luther or not. But as far as Luther is concerned, a book of this remarkable nature. Luther says... The Christian should know it word by for word by heart. But he goes on to say this. Not only know it word for word by heart, but deal with it daily as with the daily bread of the soul. For it can never be read or considered too much or, or too well. And that the more it is handled, the more delightful it becomes. And he said, the better it tastes. That's the great Martin Luther, see. And if there's anyone understood the value of this book, here was a man that certainly did. But let me give you another opinion. Not now a theologian. Let me give you an opinion from one of the most acute minds of English literature. There's a man called Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Uh, He is one of the profoundest English literature scholars of all time. He, as a matter of fact, he wrote the, the book, Bibliographica Literaria, dealing with English literature. He was an erudite 
scholar. But let me tell you what he said. This classical scholar made these words and uh, he said these words about uh, the epistle of Romans. And I quote, he said the book of Romans is the profoundest piece of literature and get this in existence. Now this is not a theologian speaking. This is a Christian scholar, a classical scholar. One of the greatest literary acute minds of all times. But yet, when he looked at this great book of Romans, he says, it's the profoundest piece of literature in existence. Oh, my dear friend, this is how important this book is. This is how important it is, not only in the way it is used in the lives of many in church history, but this is all important is by the evaluation of some of the, the great minds of the church and some of the, the great scholars. And this is why it's so important for us to try to get a grasp of this book of Romans. Now, having said that, I want to say one other thing tonight in connection with the sermon. And that is, I want to say a word about the Apostle Paul himself. Now, do you notice that in the book of Romans, if you read... You notice that at the very commencement, uh, the first word in that book of Romans is what? Paul. And, and the moment you hear the word Paul writing an epistle this, you are almost compelled to stop. Because is there anything more remarkable that here is a Jewish person writing to a company of Christians in the great metropolis of the time Rome, and the majority of the congregation is Gentiles. Have you ever heard such thing? A Jew writing to a church where Gentiles are? It's a remarkable thing. And I want to say a few words about this particular man uh, who wrote this great book. Now remember that Paul was a rigid, rabid, nationalistic Jew. Remind yourself that he was a Christ hater. Remember further that he is a church exterminator. He is a fanatical zealot that is so concerned with Judaism that his goal in life was to stamp out Christianity. But remember also the experience of the conversion of the Damascus Road. And at that conversion, the Apostle Paul has a transformation like no one has ever, I don't think, after truly experienced. Because the man was marvelously changed. And he becomes one of the great mighty defenders and chief exponent of the Christian faith. He becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Now I want to say to you, here is something worth analyzing. And here is something marvelous of how God prepares his man for special tasks. Let me show you how God was preparing Paul for the special task that he would eventually serve him. Now, I want to point out several things about the Apostle Paul. You know, there are a lot of people who tell us, you know, it, the thing that matters in the Christian life is that you're saved. And anybody can do anything because you're saved. Yeah, I want to say, I want to put that to rest. See, Your capacity to minister is not only just the fact that you're saved. Your capacity to minister and the enlargement of your capacity to minister has a lot to do with your culture, your training, your ability. God takes the entire mix. Peter could never do the job that Paul did. Peter could never write the epistle that Paul wrote. 
Peter was a special case and God used in a special way. God always prepared his men for special tasks. And God always equipped them with special gifts. And God uses the background. God uses the culture. God uses everything in preparing his man for the task that God has. The point I'm making here is that God is preparing you as well. See? As he was preparing Paul. But let's think of a moment of the way in which this man was prepared for the task that God has called him to do and to write the epistles that he wrote. The first thing I would like to point out to you about the Apostle Paul is that he was a man of unusual and exceptional natural ability. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can read any of his epistles without that fact being garnered from his writings. You ever notice the tremendous reasoning power that Paul has? His ability to marshal facts and present facts in a very logical way? The cogency of his logic can hardly be disputed. And then the song system of argumentation. Step upon step, precept upon precept. He has a skill unequaled by any other in the New Testament. And everyone that ever studies the Apostle Paul says clearly that he was an unusually gifted, brilliant man. I want to say this to say that. I sometimes think that the church suffers from a brain drain. I get the impression sometimes that parents think that their children are too smart to be in the ministry. They prepare their kids to work for Uncle Sam. They want their kids to engage in some other form of secular work. I was up at Brother Burley's church and they had a discussion in the church there about what's, what's, what's wrong with the this generation of Christians and trying to find out all these kind of things. And, and, and I, I pointed, I said, listen, the main problem is in the home. Main problem in the home. We are preparing our kids not for the Lord's work. We are preparing our kids for the secular field. And that's the gospel truth. See, We're not rearing children to give them back to the kingdom of God that God can use them. As a matter of fact, we're afraid that they will be called. We are mean and selfish. We pretend we are concerned about God's work. But we are concerned about other people doing God's work. Not our kids getting involved in God's work. Mark it for me. If you were to be able to read the minds of people even in this church. You would see that they think their children are too smart to get into the ministry. That's why I say I think we've got the, the brain drain. See? The best minds are now engaged in all other forms of secularism. See? Did you know at one time the greatest scholars in the English-speaking world was the pastors? Did you know that? Did you know that all the universities started in America like Harvard and, and Princeton and Yale? Do you know what those schools were started for? To train men for the ministry. They understood the value of an informed presbytery. Trained pastors. Listen, I thank God that Paul's mom didn't think he was too good for God to use him. And that a brain like that would be wasted to devote his time to the study of sacred things. But I know many parents who feel that way. See? Anything will do for God. We prepare to give anything for God except the best. See? And that's the tragedy of our times. Young person, I will say to you what Savannah said to the young man back in his day. He says, young man, give up your small ambitions and go east and preach the gospel. Or was it go west? I can't remember it's east or west. But the point was, give up your small ambitions and go east or west. Let go north and south and preach the gospel. See? Because I tell you this, 
God needs you more than Uncle Sam. And God needs you more than Charles or the, I don't want to say the bank because you've got people who are working in the bank. Okay? And I don't want anybody to think I'm pointing them out. You know? But I want to say this, that God needs you. God really needs you. The other thing I'd like to point out about the Apostle Paul is his birth and his family and his upbringing. Now here's a man of Jewish birth. A Pharisee by training. A student of the great teacher called Gamaliel, the greatest Pharisaical teacher of his time. Here's a man who became an expert in understanding and interpreting the law. Do you understand how valuable that was when Paul started to explain scripture? All the distortions that he was taught by Gamaliel, the apostle Paul is able to unravel and show to the world the types and the shadows. But to bring to the, the scripture an explanation that shows there's no contradiction between Old and New Testament. He's able to synchronize truth. You know why? Because of its background. Not only his natural brilliance, not only his upbringing and his training. But the other thing I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul was born a free Roman citizen. And hear me, that was no small matter. The point is that people are, that's what they want. They want citizenship. Look, Rome was like America today. The majority of the world were slaves. People in the church were slaves. The minority, a very minute minority, were freed men. But yet the Apostle Paul could say, I was born free as a Roman citizen. Now how important was that? I want to suggest to you that that was an invaluable asset. As the Apostle Paul embarked on his itinerary missionary journey as a church planter, a church man, and an evangelist. The freedom of movement. The special rights and privileges as a Roman citizen. Certain protections were offered to the Apostle Paul. In fact, when you go to the book of Acts, you find on two different occasions, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. I claim my rights as a Roman citizen. You think you can treat me that you treat these ordinary people? You whip me without a trial and then tell me sneak out the back door? No, sir. You come here and give me red carpet treatment. Leave me out and apologize to me. I appeal. See? Exactly that's what they had to do with the Apostle Paul. And then you remember there was a conniving betrayal of the Apostle Paul where they wanted to, to bring him down so he may be destroyed and killed. And it is that that time we discovered that Paul's sister had a, a, a child and, and she overheard the conversation. And Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. Take me to Caesar. That was the Apostle Paul using his privilege as a Roman citizen. And I want to suggest to you, I have no doubt in my mind, that again and again in his missionary travels, even though we don't have all the details, the Apostle Paul used his Roman citizenship in his evangelical work to give him the freedom and the liberty and the protections that were offered by that. Again, I want to say to you, this is all part of God preparing his man for his work. And then there's one last fact I want to draw your attention to tonight as we wrap up this thing. The fourth thing about it is the Apostle Paul was born in a city called what? Tarsus. You remember one occasion he said it's no mean city. <laughs> in other words, this is a special city. I am told that there were three centers of Greek culture. There was Athens, 
There was Alexandria in North Africa. And then there was Tarsus. Again, I'm told by the scholars that Tarsus, according to these people, equal Athens and Alexandria in the matter of Greek culture. Now, why is that important? As you go through the book of Acts, you find that Paul is at home with the Greek poets. He is in a place and he quotes the Greek poets. You find that Paul is at home with the, with the, with the, the Greek philosophers. He can quote the Greek philosophers. Where did that come from? The culture, the Greek culture that he had when he was living in Tarsus, which is one of the cultural centers of Greek culture. It is there that the Apostle Paul learned the poets and learned the philosophers. And God knew that he would need to use a man like this because as Paul carried the gospel as a Jew, I remind you that the main language, the Franca lingua at that time was the Greek language. Rome had conquered the world politically, but Greek had conquered the world culturally. It spread. It was called Hellenization. And it's a wonderful thing that the Apostle Paul, in dealing with certain persons, he's able to quote both the poets and the philosophers with an ease and a cool that must have baffled them. They understood this as a man of great culture as well. Now, why am I dilating on all of this information here tonight? Is it some useless exercise? Is, is that why? Now, I want to suggest to you, the reason why I'm dilating on all of this is because I want to draw to your attention that God raised up this mighty man for three special purposes. Number one, this man was raised up to defend the Christian faith against the Jews and Judaism. He had to know the doctrine, the teaching. He had to be able to interpret those teachings in light of New Testament truth. And when you come to the book of Romans or the book of Galatians, you find he's a great defender against Judaism. He stands up against it. As a matter of fact, even Peter was carried away by the Judaizers. Do you remember that in Galatians? Peter is there in Galatia. He's in a Gentile church and Peter is socializing with the Gentiles and he's making the Gentiles know that we are one before God, we're equal. There's only one church. But guess what? The Jews came down from Jerusalem and they began to look on Peter. You? Is this what you're doing? And you remember what Peter did? We are told that Peter now separated from the Gentiles and would not socialize and eat with them. And Paul said, nothing happening so. And we are told in the Bible that the Apostle Paul confronted Peter face to face and told him what? Peter, you're wrong. Absolutely wrong. See? It took Paul, a man like Paul, a lesser man like Peter in his weakness gives in to Judaism. But a man with Paul, with all of his learning and understanding and his capacity to reinterpret truth in the light of New Testament truth, he's able to stand up even to who they call today the first pope. Can you imagine he telling the pope first pope? Is not the pope supposed to speak ex cathedra infallible? Well, here is Paul saying, Peter, you're not an infallible pope. You're wrong, absolutely wrong. And by the way, he's not the first wrong pope. They've all been wrong, see the point I'm making here is all that entire mix, his background, his learning, his natural ability, his culture, all of that 
was preparing him, first of all, to defend the faith against the Jews and Judah. Secondly, God raised him up to reconcile Old Testament truth with the New Testament gospel. And Paul has to show that the New Testament gospel is not a new gospel. Do you remember he went back in the book of Genesis and pointed out that this is not a new thing? He said, Abraham believed God and he was justified before God. Righteous in God because he believed God. He went back in the book of Romans and goes back to say, listen, long before the law was given, 430 years before the law was given, Abraham was justified by faith. But how would anyone be able to do that? Would you? Had you not had Paul's teaching? Would you have understood the profundity of that truth? So he has to reconcile Old Testament theology with New Testament truth. And there's no man in the New Testament more capable than him to do that. God was preparing his man. And then the last thing I would like to say, the third thing that God was preparing this man to be, is to read the Gentile world. Can you imagine a Jew being called the apostle to the Gentiles? Listen, there's a lot of humor in that, you know. This is humor. Believe you me. When you begin to understand a Jew being an apostle to the Gentiles, a Jew who don't even believe in the Jesus that Paul is preaching. And again, I want to remind you that the main culture of that time was the Greek culture. And there had to be a man who understood the language, understand the culture, understood the literature, a man who understand the thought patterns, a man who understand the worldview, and a man who can communicate at the level of those people. The point I'm making here tonight, he needed Paul. And he called Paul. And he took everything that Paul was and used that for his glory and for his honor. Little did the church know what God had in mind when this rampaging horse was breathing out threatenings, destroying the church. By the way, they didn't talk about praying for Paul, you know. <laughs> They're probably going to look, God, you better get rid of this guy. See, you better get rid of this guy. See, we don't read that when does the Sunday ever praying that God would convert Paul, but Paul, God had other things in mind. See, and by the way, when you're going against something, and you finally see the light that the same thing you're going about is truth. Listen, there is such a transformation in your life that you want to undo everything you did there you don't want to undo. That's why Paul was so zealous. See? He was trying to destroy the church. Now what? He sends it like consume with building up the church, expanding the church. He's trying to undo because finally the light came on and he saw for the first time. I've been fighting against the truth and didn't even know it. And God in his mercy opened my eyes and finally I see it. See? He became a great, glorious exponent of the gospel. He was the right man for the right moment. And the right man with the right background. And that is why God was able to use Paul in such a marvelous way. And that's why we have the epistle of Romans. Now... We will pick up next time and we will go from there. I just thought that those are some general remarks. I hope I've whet your appetite of the importance of this great epistle. There must be a reason why you, you need to, to study this epistle. Uh, look, look, you young people, you study biology, you study history. You study some of the most boring subjects in school, okay? Okay. 
So don't tell me you can't sit and listen to an exposition of God's word, right? And you got a boring teacher. I don't want to believe that I'm boring. I, I try to make it as lively as possible. So I, I'm trying to help you. You need to help me. You need to pay some attention and show some interest. And let us walk away through this great epistle. Because I'm telling you this. If you get hold of what is in this epistle, you really grasp this truth. It will so transform you. And your Christian faith will be so much more endeared to you. It becomes a renewed treasure. And it really helps you in your Christian life. Let's pray a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the patience of those who sat and listened. We ask you that you would use the thoughts that were shared, perhaps the background that was given, and of course, pointing out the signal importance of this great epistle in the life of the church. Think about it, Lord, if we would just think that apart from this epistle, there's no Agus Augustine. The Pelagian heresy takes over the church and the church goes to its ruination. There's no Martin Luther to bring the church of, of 1,500 years of darkness. Men can't find a way out. Being misled. Salvation is being sold. Without this epistle, there's no Martin Luther. And there's no Wesley. There's no great evangelist that crosses the Atlantic and brings the glad tidings to America and also his own country. Oh, Father, there's no revival in Switzerland or Holland, France. But with this epistle, all of that changes. Your work goes on. Your people are revived. The movement of faith continues. The kingdom expands. And your people are enriched by the truth of the epistle of Romans. We want to thank you tonight, O oh God. And we want to express our deepest appreciation for calling a man like Paul and using him so mightily for your purpose in his church. May we all make ourselves available to you. And may none of us think that we are too brilliant or too smart or too intelligent or too enlightened to surrender our lives to your service. May we be concerned about what you're concerned about, the church. You founded the church. You died for the church. You live in heaven for the church. Your primary concern is for the growth of the church. Should we not, therefore, give to you our best so that your kingdom and your church might grow and expand? Show us the folly of our small thinking and remind us there's a final day of a conquering and reckoning coming. And the day of rewards coming. And only what's done for Jesus is actually going to last. Wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. But gold, precious stones, and silver will remain. And it depends on the type of material that we give back to you. And the quality of our service. Not the quantity, but the quality. What sort it is, is what really matters to you in that day. Oh Lord, help us to surrender to you. And give us a deep, profound interest in your work. Help us to know we can never give you more than you deserve. Because we cannot attain to the level of love that you've given to us when you gave us the gift of your son. And if you gave your best for us, can we dare give you less than our best? Help us, teach us, mold us, shape us 
convict us, transform us. Help us to make ourselves available to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us again next time on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy discusses the identity of the recipients of the Book of Romans, the Church in Rome. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.